Well, I'd like to to speak to you from uh, the book of Acts and from uh, chapter 10 uh, and verse 14. Let me take that as a text. Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, said Peter. That's a contradiction in terms, isn't it? If Jesus is Lord, I mean, how can you say no? to him. But Peter does. Uh, Three times, in fact, in the New Testament, you'll find Peter saying, no, Lord. Uh, First time is at Caesarea Philippi, when uh, Jesus tells Peter and the other disciples that he's going to have to die, and uh, Peter says to him, no, Lord, that's not going to happen to you. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Do you remember? And then just a little bit later on in the upper room, just the night before Jesus is crucified, Jesus stoops to wash his disciples' feet, and that's too much for Peter. No, Lord, he says, you will never wash my feet. And now here he is again. No, Lord, I have never eaten anything common or unclean. No, Lord. First he says no to the cross. Then he says no to conversion, really, to personal cleansing. You'll never wash me. (laughs) You'll never wash my feet. And now he's saying no to the Great Commission. This is the point at which the the gospel is about to jump the great cultural divide from Jews to Gentile and to go out into the rest of the world. And he says, no, Lord. Surely not, Lord. See, if God had let him get away with that, then you and I wouldn't be here today, and neither would the Atkinsons be about to do what they're going to do. Because this is where the gospel leaps, out of the cocoon of Judaism into the, into the big wide world. This is sometimes referred to as the Gentile Pentecost. It's such an important event that it is actually repeated three times in the, in the, in the book of Acts. It's here... In chapter 10, it's also in chapter 11 when Peter has, has to explain himself to the other apostles. And it's there again at the great council of Jerusalem, the, great, one of these, the, the first great council of the Christian church in Acts chapter 15, where again he has to explain what happened there in, in, on this occasion. We're going to look at it in chapter 10. Gillian read from chapter 11 because that's a concise Uh, summary of what's in chapter 10, but I want us to look at chapter 10, so if you have a Bible and you want to look at it, um, the story unfolds there in that chapter, and it's told to us in three movements. First, there is a vision, then some visitors turn up, and then a VIP shows up. You can tell I'm a Sesame Street preacher. This sermon comes to you courtesy of the letter V. (laughs) First, there's a vision. It took a vision to change uh, Peter's mind. Two visions, in fact. Uh, At three o'clock one afternoon, Cornelius had a vision in which an angel tells him to send for Peter. Thirty miles down the road, as the messengers from Cornelius are on their way, Peter has a vision. So there are two visions. If, If you look at chapter 10 and verse 9... Uh, from verse 9 following, uh, we're told there that he's, he's staying in the house of Simon the Tanner in, in, in a place called Joppa. It's, it's midday, it's noon, 
Peter goes up to the rooftop to pray while his lunch is being prepared. Now let's kind of, kind of imagine this. Let's, if, let's try and zoom in if we can uh, to see him there on that rooftop. Imagine you've got uh, Google Earth, if you like, the Bible version of Google Earth on your iPad and you're able to zoom in uh, to the rooftop there of that house in Joppa. It's hot. He's surrounded by animal skins because Simon's house, Simon is a tanner, and uh, there are animal skins stretched out there on the rooftop to dry. Uh, the smell of cooking is wafting up the stairs. And out on the harbor, um, the sails are flapping in the breeze. And as he prays, he dozes. And as he dozes, he prays. That's what happens when the sun is up and it's midday. And that's what happened. And it seems to me that God used all these external stimuli, if you like, to produce this vision in Peter's subconscious mind. And he sees a vast sail, a vast sheet being lowered down from heaven by its four corners, full of creepy crawlies. All the unclean animals uh, from the book of Leviticus are there. And, and, and the vision comes with wraparound Dolby sound, doesn't it? Verse 13. A voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, No, Lord. It's not kosher. I've never eaten anything unclean. I'm not going to start now. Lord, what you're asking me to do is not right. Look at verse 14. Surely not, Lord, he says. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. So three times Peter protests. Three times God lowers the sheet. Three times God says to him, don't call unclean what God calls clean. Now let me just apply this for a moment. Uh, what's going on here? What is God doing here? It's pretty obvious, really, isn't it, when you, when you look at this? He, he's dealing with Peter's prejudices. We, we, we're all prejudiced in one way or another. I don't know what your prejudices are, but we, we don't always see it ourse in ourselves. I, I'm not the one with the accent. You're the ones with the accent. We don't always see our own prejudices, do we? None of us likes to think of ourselves as prejudiced, like the man who said, well, I'm, no, I'm, not, as, I'm not xenophobic. That's a horrible Greek word. <laughs> we don't always realize just how prejudiced we are. If God were to deal with us this morning, if God were to lower down a great sheet out of the rafters into this congregation, this, what would be in that sheet? What are the no-nos? What are the taboos for us? See, for this, this bigoted, racially prejudiced Jew, it was a smorgasbord of clean and unclean animals. But what would it be for you? What would it be for, for us here this morning? A mullet, a mullet, a tandoori chicken, an iPod, a nose ring, a business suit, a burqa. Who are you prejudiced against? Which people 
do you instinctively shy away from when you're walking through town? Bogans? Immigrants? The working classes? The chattering classes? Yuppies? Nerds? Punks? Ferals? I'm a little bit out of date, I'm getting old. All those things may not mean a lot to you, but there are lots of different tribes out there in this city of Brisbane. Let me put it another way to you, see. Who are we not going to with the gospel? Who is not in our church here, right in the center of Anne Street? Who is not in our church on a Sunday morning, or a Sunday evening for that matter? It's often said that Presbyterian churches are perceived as middle-class, white, affluent, aging, and culturally elitist. And there was a time when people used to be proud of that. Is that something to be proud of? Hardly. And it isn't just us Presbyterians. Uh, There are ethnic churches in this city which make it very clear that their membership is confined to people of a certain language or a certain color skin. There are class-bound churches which make it quite clear that only affluent middle-class members are welcomed through its doors or even into its car park. There are churches for geriatrics which do not expect anyone to turn up under the age of 55 by the way they run their meetings. (laughs) And there are hipster churches which uh, make it impossible for anybody over the age of 25 to fit in. We have racist churches. We have tribal churches. We have sexist churches which treat women abominably. And Peter's vision challenges all of that, doesn't it? If, yes, salvation is of the Jews. Yes, God may have sent the good news to Israel first, but he intends it for everyone. God sees, sees this world in glorious technicolor. A tapestry of races, tribes, and groups which are all made in his own divine image. And he rejoices in every one of them without exception. And they all need to hear about Jesus. They all need the Savior of the world. They all need the gospel. Every tribe and tongue. And the challenge to us is, what are we doing about that? Here in this city. In the heart of this city. With all these people around us. So here, first of all, is the first, if I can put it this way, the first hammer blow to Peter's prejudices, this vision of the sheet. Three times it comes down, and then a remarkable coincidence happens. There's a knock on the door, verse 17. Just while Peter's thinking about this and what it all means, there's, there's this knock on the door. Peter, you've got visitors. And three visitors turn up on the doorstep. Look at verse 17. While Peter, while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if, if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. They're downstairs. How's that for timing? <laughs> what are the chances of that happening? Remember, these men 
had set out the day before yesterday, and they arrive at the very moment when Peter is still reeling with shock, trying to figure out the meaning of this vision. Can't, can't you see the sovereignty of God in that? God has choreogra- choreographed the whole thing, hasn't he? It, it, what, what appears to be a kind of coincidence, perhaps, is in fact carefully synchronized. That's a huge comfort, isn't it, Jason and Rebecca? Isn't that a huge comfort when, you, when you're going into a, a situation you don't know what's, 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 what's going to happen, you don't really know what to expect in the future? We, somebody was praying, one of our elders was praying just before we came out, we know about the past and we know about the present, but we don't know much about the future, but we do know who holds that future. We, we, don't know, we know that God is absolutely sovereign, and that he can, he can work all things together for the good of those who love him and who are the called according to his purpose. And that's a huge, huge comfort to know that, especially when you're going into a, 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 an interesting environment, let me put it that way, to know, that, to know who's in charge of this. It is our sovereign God. And so here is another hammer blow, isn't it, to Peter's prejudices, because now he's got to decide what to do with his visitors. What's he going to do? Will he invite them in? Don't remember he's a Jew and they're Gentiles? Jews don't eat with Gentiles. What's he going to do? Is he going to invite them in or is he going to send them away? And will he go with them? He could leave them standing on the doorstep and get his bags and, and go with them. Is he going to do that? Will he go with these Gentiles to a Gentile's house? What's he going to do? Well, look at verses 19 to 20. While Peter was still there kind of thinking about this, mulling it over, thinking about the vision. The Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. Get up and go downstairs. Don't hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Notice this. The Spirit told him, get up and go. Don't hesitate. That can equally as well be translated, don't discriminate. This is me, Peter, God is saying. This is... A God moment. I sent these men. Go with them. Uh, and he does, and the next day they set out, and a day later they arrive at Cornelius' house. And look at verse 24. Cornelius was expecting them. Uh, and he called together his relatives and close friends. And verse 29, Peter said to them, You're well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I shouldn't call anyone impure or unclean. Isn't that just typical of Peter? Every time he opens his mouth, he puts his foot in it, doesn't he? And here he goes again. He's no diplomat. Despite all that God has shown him, his prejudices are still showing, aren't they? See what he's saying? Basically, read between the lines. Of course, I, I shouldn't really be here, should I? I mean, you, Jews don't mix with Gentiles, do they? So what do you want? <laughs> God told me I should come. And Cornelius is, is so gracious... What a gentleman Cornelius is. Listen to him there in verse 30. Three days ago, he says, I was in my house praying at this hour. At three in the afternoon, suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who's called Peter. He's a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it is so good of you to come. What a polite man. Peter says, well, you know, he's obviously very 
uncomfortable about being in a Gentile house. You, you know we Jews aren't supposed to eat with Gentiles. But God told me I better come, so here I am. What do you want? And Cornelius says, it's so good of you to come, Peter. So good of you to come. Now, he says, we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. What an opportunity for the gospel. If only it were like that, always. Whenever the church gathered, if only we gathered like that every Sunday or in our gospel communities. We're all here. It's never like that, is it? I mean, the trend nowadays is that maybe once every three Sundays people might turn up at church. What an insult that is to God. You know, when the Queen issued her invitations to the coronation, she didn't invite people to turn up. She told them they had to. And when I stand in this pulpit, not because it's me, and I open this Bible and I preach to you, God is speaking to you, you know? That's what we believe. When the Bible is taught, God speaks. And you're not going to turn up for that? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, the writer to the Hebrew says, as the manner of some is. And, and wouldn't it be wonderful if we, you know, if when we did turn up and, and the word is preached, I mean, are we expecting anything to happen? Wouldn't it be wonderful, you know, when the Bible is opened and the, and the Bible is preached, that we come with expectancy, expecting God to address us. That's how it was with in, this Gentile's house. We're all here, present, he says. Before God, we're here waiting to, we want to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. See, that's why what Jason and Rebecca are going to do with their lives and with the great gifts and training that God has given them, that's why it is so very, very important because whenever the Bible is open, God speaks. That's what Langham, that's Langham's motto, isn't it? When the Word of God is taught, God speaks. And how important it is then so that, that, that Jason and Rebecca are going to be involved in a ministry where they are training pastors to handle the Word of God rightly. So that God will speak to a nation. Because when the Word of God is, 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 is preached, when the Word of God is handled aright, God Himself speaks. So let's again pause to apply this before we move on to the last point. What is God teaching us here? Well, Christians, what God is teaching us here from this episode, I think, is that the gospel is for everybody. It's not just for people like you and me. And, and if you're not yet a Christian here in this congregation, and we never know, and, and if, you, if you're not yet a Christian, thanks for coming, and we're really uh, pleased to have you with us and hope you'll hang around and ask questions or come and join us for lunch. And keep coming back. But if you're not yet a Christian, maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm not, I'm not that sort of a person. I'm not really uh, the religious type. Well, let me tell you, the gospel is for you. No one is too good for the gospel. Let me say that as well. Cornelius, you see, is clearly a very decent bloke, isn't he? He's the sort of guy you'd want your daughter to marry. <laughs> He's the sort of neighbor you'd love to have. According to verse 2, he's a God-fearing man with a social conscience. We're told in verse 2 that he gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. And, and look what it says, and God answered his prayers 
by sending him a missionary to convert him. Did you notice that? Do you get the irony of that? In, in, in the next chapter, in, in, when, when Peter has to explain himself to the other apostles, in verse 18 of chapter 11, he sums it up like this. He says, God has granted repentance. That's what happened to Cornelius. Yeah, he's a nice bloke, and he does good things, and he's, but God has granted him repentance to eternal life. In, in, on, at the Council of Jerusalem, in chapter 15, uh, Peter says, God made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Yeah, he's a nice man, but his heart still needs to be cleansed by faith in Jesus Christ. He's a nice man, but he still needs to be made a new man, do you see? Niceness doesn't get you to heaven. Sometimes people say the most ridiculous things. My grandson, he's, there, he's such a lovely boy. He's not a Christian, but he's such a lovely boy. No, he's not. He might be a lovely boy, but he's going to hell. Do you realize that? Do you realize that good people go to hell and bad people go to heaven? Did you know that? You've been reading the Bible wrong if you don't understand that. Jesus said, I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Don't be surprised when you come to a church and you find a bunch of hypocrites because there's always room for some more. Church isn't for nice people. Church is for nasty people who need to be rescued, do you see? And Cornelius, nice though he was, he still needed to be saved. Do you understand that? Do we understand that? Oh, my neighbor, well, he's a better Christian than I am. No, he's not. He may be nicer than you are. Wouldn't be at all surprised if he was. <laughs> but he's not a Christian unless he's come to faith unless he's come to see his sin and his need of salvation and put his trust in Jesus Christ. So the gospel is for all. No one is too bad and no one is too good. Everyone needs to hear the gospel. Everyone. Everywhere. And Peter learned something else here, didn't he? Look at verse 34. Now I realize, he says, the penny's dropped. Now I realize God doesn't show favoritism. He soon forgot that, of course, in, if you go into... Uh, Later on into the New Testament of Galatians chapter 2, uh, Peter has to call him to task. In Galatians chapter 2, he, he accuses him of being out of step with the gospel because he's been showing favoritism to uh, Jewish believers and withdrawing from Gentile believers in, in, in a place called Antioch. And Peter calls him out on that. See, on most of our modern devices, um, laptops, iPads, smartphones, there's a reset button, isn't there? Well, Peter needs, needed to press the reset button. And we all need to realign ourselves with the gospel of grace. That is the key to Christian living, isn't it? To live in line with the gospel. We have to keep challenging ourselves about that. We need to keep bringing our feelings, our thinking, our church practices our programs, our everyday behavior back into line with the gospel. And the gospel is grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's not Christ plus speaking in tongues. It's not Christ plus baptism by immersion. It's not Christ plus being a Presbyterian. It's not Christ plus anything. It's Christ alone. And we've got to keep bringing our thinking back into line with this gospel of grace. So then, 
here then is the, the second hammer blow to Peter's prejudices. God gave him a vision, then God sent him on a visit, and now to cap it all and to put it beyond question, look what happens next, verse 44, a very important person turns up, VIP. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came. The Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. I would love to be interrupted like that. In fact, I long for it. I pray for it. I really want to preach with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. I believe that that is the real need of the church in Australia. I believe that is the real need for Brisbane. It's what Brisbane really needs, a visitation of the Holy Spirit. See, Jason and Rebecca are going to do an impossible task. They've got a huge, huge commission. And a very scary one. But they're not on their own. They're not going on their own. There's one who will go alongside them. There is a comforter. There is a paraclete. There is one who who the Savior sends to be with us. In the next chapter, Peter explains the significance of this in in verses 15 to 17 of chapter 11. He says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them. So we just don't want dry Bible talks. We want the Holy Spirit to come through his word. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them, as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? See, this is a watershed moment for Christianity. It is the final nail in the coffin of Peter's prejudice, isn't it? It puts it beyond all doubt. Since God makes no distinction, neither should we. So let me apply this then in three ways very quickly as I close. First of all, to the law of the land, there should be no discrimination in the law of the land. You and I are citizens. We are voters. We live in a democracy. I know there's no such thing as a Christian country, but any nation that claims to any kind of Christian heritage must not discriminate in its legislation. Of course, every country needs an immigration policy. You can't open the gates to everyone, but that policy must not be based on race or color. And if it is, then we should be the first to speak up against it because we now know God does not show favoritism but accepts people from every nation who fear him and do what's right. We should hold our leaders to account And in the church, there must be no discrimination. You, you know how Gandhi, when he was in South Africa as a young li- a lawyer, turned, uh, was turned away from a church by one of the so-called welcomers and told to go and worship with his own kind. He went and never came back. He said, if Christianity has a caste system, I might as well remain a Hindu. Some draw a circle that shuts men out Race and position are the things they flout, but Christ in love seeks them all to win. He draws a circle that takes them in. That's how we're to do church, isn't it? 
But in the end, it's not a matter of, of legislation or, or good church practice. In the end, it's, it's a change of heart that's called for, isn't it? See, because really there are two conversions here. There's the conversion of Cornelius, this good man, this God-fearing man, this man with a social conscience. He needed to be converted. But so did Peter. Peter needed to be converted all over again, didn't he? He needed to be realigned with the gospel of grace. See, that loathsome sheet full of creepy crawlies is really a picture of Peter's heart. The four corners correspond to the four points of the compass. North, south, east, and west. God is saying to Peter, and he's saying to us this morning, look out at the world around you. There are teeming millions out there who need to hear about Jesus, who need to hear the gospel. Peter loathes them, but God loves them. Peter needs a change of heart, and so do you and I. I now realize, says Peter, it's a defining moment for him. Let me ask you, has there ever been such a defining moment for you? Has the penny dropped that that's what we're here for? For those who are not yet Christians. Jesus said, go. Are you going to say no? Surely not, Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this moment in history when the gospel seems to have spread from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. We thank you that we here this morning as Gentiles are part and parcel of this great redemptive outflow that began in Jerusalem. We thank you for the way of salvation that is the same today as it was in Peter's day, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Amen.